Hello, everyone. It's Mike Hill. You're listening to the Everything Went Black podcast. Very special episode this week. First of all, shout out to Retta Evans for turning me on to Bambara. Uh, you know, she usually knows the type of music I like. And she's uh, sent me a bunch of cool stuff over the years, and this is one of those bands. That's why it's a real pleasure to have uh, my guest tonight, Reed Bate, the vocalist and one of the three founding members of Banbera, and uh, we had a great time. Thanks a lot for uh, taking time out, man. I appreciate the uh, conversation. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, totally. I, I actually found out about you guys just a year ago, and a friend of mine uh, who actually is very uh, keen to the kind of music I listen to, uh, uh-huh. she's like, have you heard this band, Bambara? And I'm like, uh, I haven't. And ever since then, I've been like uh, taking a deep dive into you guys' back catalog. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a brand new, uh, very avid fan now. So that's, that's really cool. Um, so one of the things I think that's interesting about you guys is uh, the core of the band. You guys have been playing together for, from what I understand, a very extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. We've been playing together since we were probably about 11 or 12, something like that. Probably 12 years old. And that's um, uh, the core is, uh, is like you and your brother Blaze and uh, William, William Brookshire, right? Brookshire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been the same three of us since, since we were kids. I think I read somewhere also that uh, you um, you guys started out kind of playing like kind of typical like like kind of pop punk music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was like, yeah, that was the early days were all like '82 and shit like that, you know, uh, just like kids fucking around. But uh, yeah, I mean that's how it started, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I guess a lot of people probably started that way around that time. Yeah, definitely. But it's um, so a lot of people also don't really evolve into anything else either. And uh, that's that's what's um, what's kind of uh, curious, you know, for me is like what what sort of put you guys on the path that you're on now as far as uh, the type of music you're playing. And because even within the context of the bands, you know, from 2009 to now, um, I can at least I can hear, uh, you know, a lot of different things going on behind in the music. And also uh, changes within, you know, the last uh, decade or so that you guys have existed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really hard to say what what influenced it. I think we're we're always there's like certain feelings that we try to that we're trying to get at, and maybe we didn't have the like the sort of musical literacy early on to to get at those feelings. But I think the more we played, the more we played with each other, the more we heard like other bands and different approaches to music, we kind of realized uh, a way to sort of get at these feelings that we were trying to uh, evoke with, with the music, especially like a sort of like, uh, there's like a certain, uh, I, I hesitate to say darkness because that's kind of cheesy, but there's like a certain heaviness that that we, we always try to approach in, in different ways that are more unique than like a standard sort of just uh like brutal aggression or just uh or just pure sadness you know and i think we're always trying to find a way to to get to that that weird in between area and that kind of shapes what we do i think that's just me speaking personally but what i'm told i what i kind of aim for when when we're we're doing things but i think we all kind of had us have a similar idea yeah, I think even even just you know me being a fan of music, uh, you know some some of the early stuff I listened to, you know like hardcore and punk rock music uh-huh. and you know metal and all that. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's like when I first heard um, either you know like Onsters and Neubaut and and like maybe oh, yeah. maybe the Birthday Party and like early uh-huh. Swans. That's yeah. when I realized that there was like a whole other dimension of uh, of of ways to express. Um, like deeper feelings than just like aggression and anger and frustration and things like that. That is, that's beautifully put. I'd say it's pretty, it's pretty similar for us. I think with, with those bands as well. Um, I think Swan specifically was one of the reasons we all wanted to move to uh, New York. 
that definitely I was I would say that was definitely one of the biggest influences. This sort of like a the way that uh Gira talks about New York. We saw some documentary when we were kids and uh maybe in middle school, maybe like early high school, and he was talking about just like the filth of it, <laughs> like the filth of New York and just the noise and the all of this type of thing. We were we were drawn in to it, you know. The taxi driver sort of aesthetic, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's uh, I I um I didn't grow up in the city, but I'm from New York originally, and uh, I just remember oh, taking okay. trips down, you know, with my dad going to like Yankee games and stuff like that, and just being like, you know, my dad's like, don't touch anything, like don't don't look yeah. at anyone, <laughs> yeah, don't put your hands on anything, <laughs> like yeah, exactly, like how that's so it makes it so alluring, you know? Yeah, if yeah. that's. And I, I also remember just like there was, um, I was probably the New York Post or something like that. And, and there was um, back in, in the, you know, when I was a kid in like the 80s, there was, uh, you, you would see advertisements for shows like, you know, matinees and whatever stuff going on at, at CBGB's. And, you know, I, 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 did nev- I never so went cool. to any of those things when I was a kid because I was mm-hmm. too, too far away, really. And yeah. you'd also, you know, you'd see you know, ads for shows coming to Irving Plaza. Yeah, New York definitely had That's this so cool. uh, scary, you know, and at the same time I was watching movies like Taxi Driver and all these, you know, like, you know, French Connection and, you know, this oh, stuff yeah, yeah. takes place in New York. Totally. And and the music always had like this grittiness to it. So yeah, that that's totally I picked that up from what you guys are doing, especially like maybe earlier on with some of the earlier records. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we were way more focused on uh just sort of like a brutality of sound, I guess. Just like uh, like layers and layers of noise turned all the way up as loud as you could get it. I think some of our early shows in New York actually were probably pretty um pretty terrible to watch, really, because we would just I would always play through two amps and have all these loops going through all the amp, both the amps and the house and all this shit. Everything turned up as loud as it can go, and it was just sort of like a an exercise in like how much people were willing to stand there and take, you know? Oh, that's, and, uh, that's right in line with uh, the Swans, man. Those early Swan shows were in these endurance tests. <laughs> yeah, and then they're hitting the same chord the whole show, too. So it's like another, there's like another level of, uh, of endurance. It's cool as shit. So but, uh, did, did this version of the band start? Because you guys are from Georgia originally, right? Yeah, yeah. And and did this version of the I'm not I I don't know the chronology exactly but um yeah you know the, the from the research that I've done uh-huh. uh, 2009 is when the band started and uh, Dream Violence came out in 2013 were you guys living in New York uh-huh. at that the time that record came out or were you down in Georgia still well we had a we had an EP that we did when we were still in Georgia too called Dog Ear Days okay um that's like a that's we were, we were young young dudes at that time. And, we're probably still in college in Georgia, but, uh, I mean, we were, yeah. And, uh, I think that might be the first thing with a bar name on it. And then after that, we, we moved to New York after we graduated and, uh, we recorded dream violence just, uh, in our, in our apartment here in New York in between like our like, um, service industry jobs and all that, you know, this is the standard, the standard thing. But uh, the whole idea of moving to New York was to get here and just start recording music and start playing shows as fast as possible. Um, yeah, so that was the first New York record is Dream Violence, for sure. Yeah, man, New York is a hard place to uh, to move to, man. Did you have do you have, friend, <laughs> is, did you have, uh, do you have friends in New York before you just showed up we one did. day? We did. Had, we had a few friends. Um, actually, the first person we ever met from New York or in New York was uh, is he plays in the band on tour with us now. He's one of the touring members, uh, Brian Keller. He, is, he used to be in this band called uh, Soft Spot, and we played with them years ago when we were still in, uh, still in Georgia. But uh, yeah, we had a few friends here. A bunch of us moved up together. All three of us moved up at about the same time, and then we had a few friends that moved up at the same time too. And we all just kind of piled into this. There's six of us, and we kind of piled into this uh, three-bedroom apartment and lived there for. I mean, I still live there actually. <laughs> it's uh, a <laughs> ten years fucking later, you know. But it's a. Uh, it has a basement. And we just kind of threw some mattresses on the ground and 
there's some rooms upstairs and we just just got to work you know is uh did great. you guys end up in uh you know like bushwick or you know bushwick yeah, yeah. okay that's what i figured that's like where uh, yeah. everyone moves to like uh, 10 years exactly exactly <laughs> exactly yeah this is where you're gonna move when you Trying to be young dude, trying to come to New York, you know. But I mean, it was great. I loved it. It's it was uh it was just a fucking crazy wake up call. Uh as it would be for I think anybody moving to New York. I don't know if anyone is really ready for it unless you've grown up there. Yeah, the, but, uh, the thing about maybe, Bushwick too is like uh you know, if I mean I, I didn't grow up in New York, but I've I just moved away. I just moved to uh New Jersey about a year ago, but I've been living I lived in New York for like decades and uh uh-huh. Everyone I know is like, oh, Bushwick, man. That's like where they, people get mugged and killed out there. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. When we first moved here, people, all of our friends would get mugged all the time. Yeah. Willie got mugged. Willie, the, the bass player, got mugged. Some some dude hit him over the head with a 40 bottle and stole his shit. And it was just kind of like a normal, it was just kind of what we expected at that time. Yeah, but, it was, still uh, it was pretty... kind of exciting, too. You know, I don't know. It, just, it added to that grind. Everything felt, it, it, it felt gritty and you know, dangerous in a way that it doesn't anymore. But, uh, Oh yeah. I'm glad now, I got to see it that way. Yeah. Now it's, it's way different now, but I, I remember probably like maybe before maybe 2005 or something like that. I was looking for an apartment and, um, I had just gone through a breakup with a, with a girl and, and, um, mm-hmm. I had to move out and I was looking for roommates and all this. And I ended up uh, checking out a loft place out on Johnson street. And, uh, uh-huh. I remember getting off the L train and like I was the only person to get off the train. There was no one in the station. It was like maybe oh, eight thirty at night. Yeah. But it, it felt like two in the morning when I got up to the to the street level, and uh-huh. there was like no one on the street. It just had that desolate, dangerous, you know, like some like there was someone lurking somewhere. You know, that's what the feeling. Oh yeah, had. yeah. So that's for sure. Yeah. So that that was the uh, the world, I guess, back then. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird how how quickly that changes, you know, or actually just how long ago that is. It doesn't, 10 years goes by so fucking fast, especially, you know, New York time is, it's a, it's like a totally different, like, property than everywhere else in the world. Georgia, I feel like I'd still be probably 20 years old just because time went up so much slower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. It, everything is in hyperspeed yeah. New York, for sure. Yeah. So how did that affect the band? I mean, you guys were, you know, living in Georgia. You were doing your thing down there. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure uh, the actual day-to-day, uh, you know, travails of doing the band must have changed drastically once you, you moved to New York City. Yeah, I mean, everything just became more more of like a test of your, of your willpower, you know. It was just kind of like, in Georgia, everything was kind of easy to do, and everything was slow-moving, easy to do. There was no there's nothing in the way it's easy to make ends meet you know jobs were easy to find and what didn't cost much in like a small college town in georgia uh but you know we get here and you gotta hustle immediately or you get spit out the city's always trying to kick you out so we spent all of our time either working or working in the basement on the record there's no nothing else really just like working or getting fucked up or whatever and then working on the record and that was it it was a it was a nice little dreamy kind of fucked up bubble it was kind of nice actually but uh it, it really just taught us how to work uh in a more focused way i think yeah having the space in the basement is uh that was pretty pretty key actually i imagine oh it's beautiful it was beautiful i don't know how uh how we would have done it without that it's, you know because we would have had to work so many more hours to pay for the rehearsal space and all that shit i don't know the logistics become such a big thing the practicalities of living here renting a rehearsal That's space true, you know? in in brooklyn is is like high, highway robbery man it's like you're, totally you might just, as well sleep there yeah you're just getting exploited like the whole time you know yeah yeah or there's the whole hourly thing which is like a total waste of time i think totally unless you have like a show to practice for and that's it or something you know and you don't have anywhere to do it but yeah it's yeah it's just hard to that's that's a hard thing to, to maneuver unless you have a basement nobody really has a basement so it was a beautiful thing for us 
Yeah, I think there's that. Uh, I think there's a strip club out there called Pumps that actually has uh, Pumps. Yeah, yeah. Rehearsal space, it's like part as part <laughs> of it or something, right? Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, there's yeah. A I know. Venue. <laughs> there's used to be a venue right over there. I forget what it was called. Fuck. I don't know. There used to be a venue over there, but yeah, so, I didn't know they had rehearsal space. That's funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, people will find, a, you know, you know how it is, like any way they can squeeze like a couple of more cents out of people, you know, that's, oh, they'll, yeah, they'll totally. do it, you know, it's a rehearsal yeah. space, hourly, whatever, you know, all that. Yeah, yeah. So, so being in Bushwick, there was all those, those sick like lofts out there. Is that where you guys played some of your early New York shows? Yeah, we played a lot of shows and all those, all the lofts, they'd be open, you know, for like a few months and get shut down and. Uh, a lot of small venues too that were open back then and aren't anymore. And it was all really, it was cool. The community was so small back then. The, the music scene, it was, it was way different than it is now. Uh, where you would just play with the same bands over and over again, and just it was really tight knit, pretty cool. Uh, there weren't really enough bands. At least it seemed like this to me. I don't, you know, I was young, didn't really know what the fuck was going on. But uh, to me, it seemed like there weren't really enough bands to break off into different scenes yet it was everyone just kind of played with each other no matter what kind of music you played i thought that was kind of cool um yeah yeah some of those places like that the johnson street place that's still that place still has shows i think yeah 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 exactly. i think i saw shows. this band uh bloody minded play there like like a year ago and um, oh cool I was like, wow, this is still here because I hadn't been there in like maybe seven or eight years. And uh, Yeah, that one's got such like a diehard, uh, I don't know, just like, I guess the people still live there and stuff and it's always rotating, but it's got such like a, such like a following. It's a cool spot. Yeah, totally. So one of the questions I have is, is the, the core of the band is a rhythm section and, and you used to play guitar, right? Yeah, and I, I still do. I still write guitar and still uh, play it on the records. It's okay. still just the three of us on the records. Ah, but, okay. Uh, All right, I see. I broke my hand at a show one time. Uh, I forgot what the fuck it was. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I forgot it because I was blacked out, drunk, obviously, and uh, just was. I was just beating the shit out of my guitar and my fist shattered. I didn't realize it, so I just kept going. And the next day, I woke up. My hand was demolished, so we had to get another dude to play. Uh, we had to get Brian, the guy I was talking about earlier, to come play one of the shows for us. And then we just kind of liked, kind of liked the dynamic. I liked a lot being free because uh, I was always tethered to the guitar, and also the way I used to play guitar back then was very technical, very. Uh, it was like a being like chained to like three pedal boards and all these amps and shit you know and it was it was so freeing to be uh just a singer and so we just kind of kind of just started i think i, I never really i don't think i ever played guitar again after that with the band live i think that it must be hard to find someone because uh when i when i listen to the music it, there's a very specific thing going on with the guitar you know, you, you can't mm -hmm. just like grab some guy and be like, all right, I need a guitar player. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. You know I'm trying to say there's like this oh, uh, yeah, very specific sure. thing going on. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Was Brian was the other, was the guy. Brian. Name? Yeah. We have two guys that play guitar, actually, Brian and Sammy. Now it's a five, five piece, uh, live thing. But, uh, yeah, first, at first it was really hard. It was hard to get that right with just Brian especially because of the way that I was doing all this technical stuff with splitting amps and having different loops through different amps at different times and all these sorts of things that I was doing all by myself. Uh, we realized we didn't need to, when we, when we started playing with Ryan, we were just like, well, fuck it. Why don't we just get another guy too? And then no one has to be doing all these things at once, you know? So it just split up really nicely amongst two people. And that really helped. And they're also very good players and, and can take and take direction very well too. Yeah, that's that's uh, you know, some of the more some of the more interesting stuff with the band is is uh, you know I, I also uh, play guitar, so I always listen to you know try to figure out what kind of effects are going on, maybe what kind of amps uh -huh. you're using, that kind of thing. You know. Yeah. 
So, I mean, yeah. what, I, what, what I think, man, is like, are you a Roland Howard fan? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, man, I listened to that. Because that's yeah. like, they're like one of my favorite bands, The Birthday Party and like Me Crime, too, man. Crime Me and too. the City Solution and oh, yeah. the Solo oh, Records, yeah. all that stuff, man. And it's just oh, like, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, any, anything that it has that kind of like like twangy, reverbed out like vibe is like totally into that. Yeah, man, I love that. I just love that type of guitar playing so much. There's something about it. It's just mysterious and violent, and, and uh, I don't know. It's just that's just that's just how I like to play it. I guess like how I like to hear it, how I like to play it. Yeah. Now. Uh, about a year ago, um, you guys were on tour, and I was gearing up to check you guys out at uh, uh -huh. when, on the, the the date in New York, but it got canceled due to the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was like, God damn. Right, right around the time I I found out about the band, I was like, oh shit, these guys are playing here, you know, in New York, and then yeah, uh, everything you know, everything blacked out. So yeah. Are there any yeah, any plans? Bummer. Are there any plans this year that you guys are making to do any kind of you know live performances or anything? This year, uh, no. Uh, we might try something, but we're not at the moment. It's all next year. We have like a huge tour happening next year, like a big European tour, but that's all that's on the books right now, and uh, it's fucking brutal just sitting around, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're experiencing that too. Yeah, actually, there there was like this gigantic tour uh, that was going to happen, right? Like, I, it was it was in April of last year, and um, you know, one of my favorite bands is this band called Napalm Death, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, my whole my whole life, I was like, man, I would love to go on tour with these guys. And we got asked to do a tour with them last year. And uh -huh. uh, sure enough, oh, the, whole, wow. the whole thing got canceled. And oh, it's tragic. Yeah, dude, it was like God damn. One of one of those like bucket list things for me, you know. Oh fuck, <laughs> God, that's brutal. Yeah, yeah. So, Jesus Christ. And that's that was like that was pretty pretty hard to swallow. You know, we just had a new record come out and like all that. But um, oh, just geared up, ready to go. God damn. Yeah, you know, and it's like yeah. uh, you know, good response and you know good press and all that mm -hmm. and, you know so it's kind of a kind and that all takes time to get in the works too you know and it's yeah. finally all ready to ready to pop off it's kind of similar with us we, we did a we did a we had straight come out and then we had so much shit set up we were going to be touring we like not like the whole year pretty much yeah and uh we did a handful of shows and that was it you know but that's just how it goes, I guess. Everyone, everyone got fucked. Man, Stray is like such a great uh, follow up to uh, Shadow over everything, man. It's like, uh, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, the song that that really sticks out is uh, "Stay Cruel," and uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, and what what really, I mean, all you know, the guitar playing, all that stuff's great, but the falsetto backup vocals on that song. Oh, cool! Is like, yeah, those are actually. Uh, female singers on that one. Really? Live we do it falsetto. Oh uh, we have, man! Okay. Yeah. Because I saw live uh, Sammy and Brian sing falsetto, but on the record there's there's a uh, Annie from Palberta and Drew from Public Practice uh, sing a bunch of times throughout the record. I forgot. It's a like a handful of times on the record they're singing kind of like a like a recurring choir kind of. Wow. Like okay. Well, you yeah. know, it's funny when I listened to the record, I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's great female backup vocals. But then I saw mm -hmm. a uh, live performance and that's when I was like, oh wow. It's those two dudes singing in falsetto. That's like pretty far out, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's how we do it live. Cause we can't really budget to have two more people on the road. No, that, that uh, makes total. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no way just to have like extra people out there for that. No, you yeah. can't just like have everyone hop in the van and go, you know, but, uh, yeah. So that's, that's part of the thing with that, with that record and a little bit of the one before it, we, uh, really didn't want to limit ourselves with things that like, whether or not we could play it live, we just figure that out later, you know? And so the way we do that, you know, we, we end up having them sing falsetto or the guitar parts change or someone ends up playing 
a sax part on a guitar or on a keyboard or organ or something. It's kind of fun, actually, to have to. It's a challenge to uh, to transpose these things into a, a live setting, and it ends up a lot of times they just end up having more. It's just more energy, like a more sort of like punk attitude in a live setting than they do on the record. You know that that's kind of a big step that a lot of bands um, think they're. That's kind of like a moment, you know what I mean? Like in a band's mm-hmm. sort of creative uh, output, where. Uh, I've gone through a similar thing with some of the things that I do where we stopped thinking about how we're going to recreate it live and just Uh add layers like synth layers and other vocals and things like that. Oh yeah. And that's, that's like a moment though, where you, you kind of have to decide the record is kind of a standalone piece. And then the Mm -hmm. live expression of that is like a different thing, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. I I think that's, that's such a huge part of, of what we all do, I think. Because it's, it's very boring to me when you hear a record, you really love the record, and then you go see the band live and it sounds exactly like the record in every way to where it could just be a recording of the record. It's like, well, I could have just listened to this shit, you know? Well, it's funny that you mention that because <laughs> the, um, I, um, I saw this band play a number of years ago. I'm not going to name the name of them because they are uh-huh. quite popular and... Um, they were they were opening for Iron Maiden and uh, it was okay. like, <laughs> um, and I, the guy wears a mask, right? And I'm I'm like uh-huh. watching him perform, and I'm like, man, how is that guy singing with that mask? On? Oh yeah. And not only is he singing with the mask on, but also all of the you know layered vocals and effects and everything was identical uh-huh. to what the record sounded like. Ah. Uh. And as I was watching the show, I was convinced that the only things that might have been live were the drums and the bass. Oh, not even the guitars or anything? No, because the dude was like running all over the stage and ripping these like like crazy solos. <laughs> and there was like, it just, I don't know. Like I was watching this and I was convinced. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. but like, Yeah. No, was, I mean, I think that's pretty common. Just get that they, with a big axe, you know, they, they send everything through a, they have it all set up in an Ableton thing you know and <laughs> the whole show even the lights and everything is set up uh in that like grid it's crazy you have all the tracks in there and stuff that seems so joyless to me i don't know well you got to stay on that click track through the whole set you gotta stay you know? on that click track <laughs> yeah and like spacing between songs and stuff is insane. i don't know i i, I feel like it, there has to be spontaneity or there's no point in seeing something live yeah that's i mean I, I enjoy like you know extreme music and metal, but but mm-hmm. I like I also like you know like there's to be some organic element to it, you know. For sure, yeah, and I like hearing people fuck up too. Yeah, you know? it's a it's a beautiful. Sometimes it sounds even better, you know. So, actually, uh, Iron Maiden, who went on and played after them, uh, and, and uh-huh. I, I guess their performance is what uh, kind of. Um, you know, galvanized my my idea about this other band it was like Bruce yeah. Dickinson's like running from point A to point B, and you can uh-huh. hear the proximity of the microphone to his mouth. You know what I mean? Oh, there you As go. As he's singing, yeah. And there, you know, the, the solos were different. Like they extended uh-huh. parts. There was like the songs a little bit faster than what, than I you know than the record, and it was yeah. like a uh, rock and roll experience as opposed to this sterile presentation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, I guess there are certain certain types of music that would maybe benefit from, like more of like a performance art sort of situation Yeah, might benefit from something like that. But if it's like a, uh, you know, if, you, if it's like a, a visceral experience that you're going to a show for, I don't think it can really be gridded out like that and just pumps through the house. Now, in, in the early uh, years of the band, you know, you guys definitely focused on you know noise and and that kind of stuff. Now, were you guys yeah. ever into like like noise music at all? Like you know, like throbbing gristle or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We we, we got into a, a lot of noise for a while. Um, there was also I feel like I was also with time in Bushwick when there was noise artists everywhere. Yeah, and that also kind of lured me away from it at the same time because uh, there's something. I don't know. There's this the idea of just like a dude screaming into pedals over a drum machine. Seeing that every show, like every show you go to, the first band is that guy, but a different guy 
they're doing the same thing. And it became like kind of annoying after a while. So I think in one way that really kind of made us shape our noise into different sorts of taking it kind of different ways instead of just the harsh noise scene, which I like, I do like the harsh noise a lot, but like, uh, like all that type of stuff. But, um, we, uh, I think, I don't know. We use layers for a different purpose than just for like a, a sort of like harsh uh, intensity, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's, it's just another layer that's part of like yeah. this organic, you know, kind of experience, you know? Yeah. 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 A lot of that noise stuff is, um, I remember like in the nineties buying like tons of noise records and, uh, uh-huh. And it's funny. It's exciting. Yeah, but, totally. Uh, you know, and it's like yeah. I started, you know, if I felt like I was more interesting because I had these records and, you know, yeah. <laughs> I had like these things to talk about with people. And yeah, you know, yeah. You know, there was like a um, a record store. Um, well, this is up, up in New England, uh, Triple R uh-huh. Records. And they're like a cassette type label and uh-huh. all about the, the cool, like extreme packaging and all that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah. But ultimately, uh, I, I have a bunch of these records that I probably listened to once, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. And I, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm talking shit about it. I've seen plenty of these shows that were like very moving, and I was like, damn, that was sick. But um, yeah, for the most part, I feel like it, I think it's an easy type of genre to, to be like a dilettante in, you know. So all you got to do is have equipment. Yeah. But. But when it's good, it's great. Well, that, that's the a, thing. When you see something yeah. that's like on that other tier, you know, it, it's it really that's when it all kind of comes together. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. 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 So one of, the other thing about the band that I really enjoy is um, like when I when I listen to like either either of the newer records, because those are the two I listen to uh-huh. the most. Um, yeah. It seems almost like a collection of short stories uh or something along those lines really um yeah yeah i would i would say shadow and everything to me i guess is the way i conceived it i guess is more of like kind of like a novel with chapters and then stray to me is almost like short stories that are connected it's like i know it's like a weird distinction but the the difference is that on on stray each song has its own narrative arc kind of and with shadow they all kind of lean on each other and build a story together uh to like a, a more more into like an overarching narrative uh that's how i would describe them i guess yeah there, there's a very there's a very kind of literary like thing going on with the lyrics i think you know for sure and, yeah yeah so i mean i guess you're you're a writer too right like you yeah i do i i, I right uh i write a lot yeah um actually yeah i've been working on a novel for years and i think honestly that has helped that's helped me write songs a lot it's a uh, it's kind of recontextualized the way that i uh write lyrics and that started when i first moved to new york i started working on this book and uh and the lyrics from for the from the album swarm are very influenced by that sort of work and i just kept on working on this book it's finished now but i kept on working on this book and my mind has been just stuck in this sort of literary mode for so long that everything kind of comes out is in a similar sort of fashion i think and i i don't know it's a natural it's natural for me to do it that way it's not like uh it's not hard or anything it's just a, a natural way to write lyrics for me for some reason i don't, I don't know why yeah, I mean that that's, you know, that's the process, you know what I mean? It's uh Yeah. I think that people who, you know, keep notebooks or or have like a kind of a um continuum of ideas that they pull from, I think the material is a lot stronger that way. Yeah, for sure. If you keep your brain in motion and the same themes and all that, it's easier to it's definitely more fruitful, I've found at least. Yeah, because like I, I remember, I used to work. I used to do like studio work, and um, we were in the studio at this band, and uh, 
once again, I'm not going to use the name <laughs> because yeah, yeah, it's a band that sure. some people who listen to the show will probably know about. Uh-huh. And I'll probably get my ass kicked too because they're like these kind of tough guys. So, uh, okay. so yeah, that's why I got to watch my step here, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, um, but anyway, it's like they, it was time to make a record, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they came in with no songs or lyrics or anything. And wow. Sp- spent like the whole month like developing this stuff you know like the the one guy there was one guy who kind of wrote everything like like song wise like you know riffs and all that yeah so he had demos but he uh-huh. kind of had to teach the drummer and the bass player and all these other people involved like how what like how the songs like they, they re you know they edited everything together you know mm-hmm. and then the singer showed up and no lyrics and just wrote them like on the spot you know, and I was like, Damn. I mean, that, that gives me a panic attack even just thinking about that. Well, yeah, like, the amount of pressure, man. I, I don't know if I'd ha- I can handle yeah. that kind of pressure, you know? No, I can't. There's no way. And I guess some people, I, I know a lot of a lot of people that do that, and it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I I just, you know, I, I like to be prepared when I do anything. You know, that's a, that, too, that, yeah. that applies to every single thing that I do. I like to have for sure, yeah, preparation just so I can relax into it. You know, exactly. Yeah, I don't know how they can relax <laughs> when they're they got a fucking gun to their head like that. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I, yeah, I have like a very, uh, I don't know if it's extreme, but it's a very, it's definitely a defined process for lyric writing. I couldn't just, there's no way I could just do it on the spot in a studio. Now no the, the novel that you wrote, uh, did you yeah. like, outline that out, or like, well, how did you? What was your process with writing the novel? Well, I, I started it when I moved to New York, and I was just so overwhelmed with the city, and I just had these sort of. I wanted to capture as many images as I could of the city, what before I understood the city at all, because I wanted it to feel. I wanted it, the images to look the way that. I, that, I, that the city felt, you know, like an impressionistic version of this crazy place. So I just kind of gathered images for months, maybe even a year. And then I would, uh, I just kind of wrote scenes based off the images that I liked the most or the ones that I thought would go to better, go together the best. But uh, I mean, I made a, I had a character. So to do this, I needed a character that was going to experience these things. So, that, that came up with the character and then I came up with his story, what was going to happen almost as just like a sort of, uh, scaffolding to hang these images on. Right. Um, but then over time it became more and more refined and more uh, novel like, I guess, instead of like a, instead of like a collection of poems or something. And, uh, it's finally done now. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know anything about the literary world, but, um, it's been a it's been an amazing process, and I've learned a lot about how to write in general by doing it. And I might I'm probably just going to start another one just to keep it going. That's awesome because it's a, yeah. it's a it's a process I really enjoy and uh, constantly learning. And you know, I spent years editing it too, so that's a whole other part of the process that, that you really learn so much. But yeah, uh, that's that's um. Yeah. I, I could definitely relate to that because, um, like, typically what I, I have, like, all these notebooks and shit that I write in for, you know, not even specifically for songs or anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just ideas and sketches mm-hmm. and symbols and all this other stuff. And then yeah, what what happens is, like, similar to what you were saying, like, you, you can kind of pull pieces together from this raw material that you have. Yeah. You know, and then it's, like, it's so you know, organic that way too. You know, yeah. So I, I would much rather do that than like show up in the studio, uh, <laughs> just God all right, man. Here's like eight songs. Let's write some lyrics. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. I don't. There's no way. No way. But I've seen people that do that and they write good lyrics, and I don't understand. They're different type of lyrics, obviously, but still good. Yeah, I mean, apparently David Bowie would do that. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And, and his lyrics can be so cool sometimes, you know? Yeah, I mean, but, exactly. I mean, I, I was blown away when yeah. I heard that. I figured, like, he had, like, you know, different alternate lyrical takes of different songs and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And he would do that thing, I think, when he was working with Eno in uh, Berlin or whatever, he uh, 
I think he did. I've heard somewhere that he did that that technique where you just cut a bunch of words out of a magazine and throw them on the ground, <laughs> and mix them up and see what happens. Oh, what's that guy? Uh, Brian Geisen? Is that the dude who? Uh, like, oh man, it, it, he was one of these guys that used to hang out with Burroughs or something, and now they kind of had that whole. Oh, okay. Like that cut up like style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Like he, there was like this yeah. whole scene of dudes who did that stuff. And it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's just a whole different approach than I than I would ever do, but it's cool. Yeah. So, like some of some of the ideas, like some of the stuff that comes to mind when I read the lyrics, though, is like a lot mm -hmm. of like kind of like um, I mean, you know, I mean, this is like not a yeah, I'm not being original, I guess, when I say American Gothic or Southern Gothic or Western yeah, Gothic yeah. or whatever. But that's kind of the vibe uh -huh. of like a lot of this, the lyrical stuff, you know, or For like sure. kind of like these dark, like outsider. You yeah. Know, like, are there are there any writers that inform any of that with you? Because like I read some of your uh -huh. lyrics and I'm like, oh, I think of like, you know, I think of like, uh, you know, Flannery O'Connor or like. Uh, well, yeah, she, she's Carson. my number one. Like Carson McCullough. Yeah. And I. Most Georgia people too, you know. Really? Yeah. So, I think there's something to it, and we also, I mean, I had a uh, growing up, we had a Southern Gothic like section of high school in our in our like English class when I was young, uh, and I don't know if everyone has that. It's probably just because no. it's Georgia or something. Hell but no. it was a uh, that was when I really that that was the first time I, I was. I remember reading Southern Colors. Uh, good man's hard to find, and I was just like, "Fuck, I want to, I want to be a writer," you know. So that's always stuck with me uh, throughout everything I've done. I think, and I do think maybe just growing up in those environments also kind of makes it a little unavoidable, you know. But uh, yeah, she's a she's a big influence. I actually have a reference to her on on the record, Stray. Uh, it's a subtle one, but it's uh, in that story. The, the misfit, the dude that's... Have you ever read that story? Which one? A Good Man is Hard to Find? Yeah, yeah. I have, a, a, I have the collection. I have like her uh, complete short story collection. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. She's, so, she's so amazing. But uh, there's a... At the end of the thing, Misfit says, uh, was it no pleasure but kindness? Or but meanness, I mean. The exact opposite of what I just said. Yeah. No pleasure but meanness. Yeah. And... Uh, for some reason, that word meanness has always stuck with me. And I think it's because it's because of the way that in the South people use meanness in a, in a much broader sort of sense, I think, than anywhere else. It can mean like little things or it can mean huge acts of violence or something like that. It's a strange word and it sounds clunky. It's a clunky sounding word and it's always stuck with me. So that's why... That's why I got the uh, the word. I mean, that's why I wanted to have Miracle have that word tattooed on her lip. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That that I didn't pick up on that, even though you know. I well, mean, I don't. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty subtle, but it, it's it just that very... it's that one one word, you know. Yeah. And it's funny though, because I think I think other people have been impacted by that word too. Because I was I was listening to Nebraska the other day. Spring, the Springsteen uh, record, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, it's a great album. And I he, love that record. Oh, it's an unbelievable record, and he's that whole record has like a Southern Gothic sort of thing sure. to it too, you know. And and I remember he has a song, someone where this dude, there's a girl throwing a uh, baton on her lawn, and he picks her up, and they just go around killing people. Yeah, and uh, you know that one I want to talk. About? I think it's the first one on the record. Yeah, it's uh, Johnny. Is it Johnny Ninety Nine or something like that? Not Johnny Ninety Nine. It's the it's a different one, I think. But um, it's he. It's about Charles Starkweather, the uh, the murderer. Oh, is that who? I didn't know it was about a real person. Yeah, 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 that's, definitely. That's mind blowing. Oh, um, ah, fuck, dude. He Why just blew that I... record wide open for me. Yeah, it's um. I mean, I love the record. It's one of my favorites, but uh, it's it's a I great album. That. And and uh, Johnny Ninety Nine. Oh, I think it's called Nebraska. Nebra that song. Possibly, yeah. And Charles Starkweather is the subject of that song. And I wow, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, I just thought he's. I thought his details were just really amazing. But he, uh, but in that he says something like the judge, you know, gives him death, electric chair or whatever, and they ask him why he did it or something, and he says there's just a meanness in this world. And I remember listening to it and being like, I bet this motherfucker is a Flannery O'Connor fan. And I looked it up, and the whole time he was writing Nebraska, he had a short story collection of Flannery O'Connor in his 
in his room with him that he was reading the whole time. So I think there's there's just something about that word that has a lot of power to me. That was, I mean, I, I actually thought it'd be a good title for the record, but we kind of decided against it. I don't remember why, but. Yeah, I, I always trip out on the different colloquial like variations of words like in the English language depending on like what parts of the country you're in, you're in you know. Yeah, so it can be vastly different, you know. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and like one one of the the another writer who uses that really well, I think, is Cormac McCarthy. Oh yeah, I love Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, like you know, Meridian's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, all man, time. that that whole trilogy is is pretty awesome. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, his stuff is a little bit more like, like brutal, you know what I mean? In a lot of yeah, ways, just, it's very, yeah, it's just extreme. Yeah, extreme. That's a great word for, uh, for his, his material. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that's, um, yeah, that, that's like another big one for me too, man. And you know what? It's, it's funny, like even like, uh, Hemingway's Nick Adams stories. Oh know, yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of that, like, I don't know, these are all the things that come to mind when I listen to the you know, those, the last two records you guys did, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that's the sort of thing that gets stirred up. Yeah. Listen to it, you know, but, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, what, what else, uh, you know, you guys working on new material or anything like that? We are, uh, yeah, we're working on an EP right now. Um, don't know when that's going to come out. Everything, you know, we keep on getting dead deadlines or we keep on getting ideas and then, shit gets canceled or whatever uh, you know it's like hard to time anything uh right now yeah but we're working on it it's coming along hopefully it'll be done sometime soon we can get it out in a, in a at a time that makes sense but um that's what we're doing right now wish we'd be pl- wish we could be playing shows but yeah that's not like such, <laughs> such a uh you know it's funny like um i i bought tickets to go see ministry in uh in october yeah, yeah down in, wow. Philly, in philly you know and and, uh-huh. uh, and i'm like yeah the, you know I, I there's like this weird visualization you know what i mean it's like part of me was like all right <laughs> i'm gonna buy these tickets man this show's gonna happen now you know and uh-huh. it's like this kind of like willful visualization <laughs> that i'm gonna try to manifest yeah. like live music in the fall you know uh-huh yeah so we'll see what happens <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know what's gonna happen I mean, maybe I, they might do like small shit you know around around town i don't know about ministry we'll see <laughs> that's just some wishful thinking but you never know yeah i mean um vaccines are rolling out so who knows well you know yeah i mean that's that's the thing you know it's like yeah it's, you know everyone's gotta you know do the right thing here you know yeah totally but uh, but reed thanks a lot man you're very uh generous with your time i appreciate it man hey man thanks for having me seriously yeah totally awesome thanks
I nearly approached her then Till I saw her face almost grateful in the mirrored wall And I wished it would fall and shatter